probably the, the most touching was I spent a lot of time on a API facility on the East Coast. And on the last day when I was finally walking out, their, their process chemist said, you know, I want to thank you. You're the first person in plant who's ever actually helped me. Welcome to CMC Live. This is the show where we discuss CMC regulations and guidances simplified through real-life experiences and risk-based advice. Each episode, we speak with subject matter experts as well as other leading industry authorities. With your host, Ed Narkey. Welcome to CMC Live. Today we have a very special guest and we'll be talking about some very important things. So trust is, a, is important in any relationship, particularly the relationship between a sponsor company and a contract manufacturing organization or a CMO. As outsourcing becomes uh, ever more important in the industry today, the effective management of these CMOs is a topic of high interest. By assigning a person in plant, sponsors have the ability and are able to develop a more trusting relationship with their CMO partners. There is no widely agreed definition for person in plant which is partly the reason for the confusion around the term. From the wording, the term refers to having a project sponsor, employee, or designate employee, or a consultant present at the contract manufacturing site in order to observe observations. So today we'll be talking about a few things. The dilemmas around person and plant, the value of a person and plant. A person and plant could be beneficial for a sponsor to better understand the actual manufacturing process at the CMO. So it's just one of the tools in the CMO toolbox, but it's an important one. Also, when does a person and plant need it? I'm sure this depends upon the specific project's risk assessment, CMO, and the process. Very often, a person plant is required to be there during initial batches, first three batches maybe, validation batches, or mainly, especially when critical steps or safety-related stages are involved during upstream, downstream processing, unit operations, etc. Afterward, the person plant approach might be used if the process changes during a technology transfer or when unexpected issues arise. Another thought we will go over will be who can be designated as a person in plant. This is a question that I have myself. For the development project, this individual should probably select it from the, somebody on the product development team or one of the technical team. So today we have Dr. Dan Torok on the show. Dan is a process chemist by training and has worked with the group here at DSI for close to 10 years. I've also known Dan for 20 years and worked with him at a facility and learned a lot from him. So Dan, let's get this episode started by going into some of your background, how you got started, and get your thoughts on the role of a person in plant. My background, PhD, synthetic organic chemistry, postdoc with the uh, National Institutes of Health and Medicinal Chemistry. I decided I really didn't like medicinal chemistry, but I liked scale up because I ended up doing some during my postdoc. And I, I got the opportunity to learn process development, manufacturing chemistry in the agricultural industry, which since most of the people who are listening to us now are pharma, it's a whole nother world. Think bulk chemistry. Think when you go into a production plant, it was the kind of production plant that scared some people. It, it, it was more like going into an oil refinery type facility than it was a modern pharmaceutical manufacturing facility. Um, so the learning was different. Uh, I, I made the jump into CMOs, worked for companies like Hovione and Lanza, or doing process development, running pilot plants, making batches hands-on in the pilot plants, to, to, running an entire facility, uh, being responsible for the production floor. So at the end of the day, a lot of my career, 15 plus years of it, was spent with half the time or more on a production floor. 
solving the problems, walking down the equipment, things like that, which so I'm, I'm a little unusual compared to your typical process development chemist because of the time I've, I've spent in production facilities. So when it comes time to go into a plant for a client, either a client who just wants somebody to watch over an important campaign, a registration campaign, validation campaign, or that time when the client calls on a Friday afternoon with a crisis because the batch is going uh, up in smoke and they need someone there to look at it. My, my perspective is very different probably from your average chemist when I walk in. Well, Dan, then let me ask you this. I mean, we know a lot of smaller companies that, that completely push all chips in, if you will, with their CMO. They entrust the process, they entrust at times the, the future of their company in the CMO, which again, there's a lot of reputable CMOs, not, not to lean your answer any one way here. If you, if you say to yourself, well, then what's, what's the benefit of, of incurring the cost to send someone, say with your background, to a site to run their process? It seems a little belt and suspenders, but, but what are the advantages to doing it? Working at the CMOs a lot of my career... I, I had to deal with, and I had the man and the person in plants, the woman in plants coming in to the production floor I was in charge of, and I'd have to watch them. And as you said, there, there's many times where it's, it turns into a babysitting exercise, and you, you don't want it to be that. So if you are going to get a person in plants, you want, you, first off, you want to have the right one there. Second off, the reason you, I think you want them there is twofold. One is something that's uh, often referred to, and you've probably heard it as a manufacturing guy, the white coat effect. There is a white coat effect. When the client comes on site, the behavior is different. The level of attention is different. And that's really what we're talking about here. When you walk, especially when you walk into a very reputable, very solid CMO, you just want that attention of to detail to go up a, a further notch, that it, it may not always be there. Uh, when you're talking about perhaps a CMO that you're having issues with, uh, you, you have to go beyond the white coat effect. You have to go into the bringing a piece of knowledge into the plant to help them out because there may be the type of place that's having issues. The white coat effect is real. Trust me, even in a good facility, it's absolutely real. When people know, when operators find out the client is coming and they're going to be watching, they, they behave very different. The level of detail is much more. And the reason, the reason you need that is that I have never worked for a CMO or I've never been at a CMO where a plant manager would tell you, yeah, I got five extra people. I'll put them on your campaign this month because we really care about you. We, we've got these people in the back room and we've got more than we need. CMOs are profitable because they run with the number of people they need when the plant is at full occupancy. They're, 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 and, and certainly today in the last year or two, everyone who's good is at full occupancy. You, you can't find extra room. So, so there's not, uh, there's a lot of good CMOs out there who they'd love to toss a couple extra engineers on your validation campaign and just have them on the floor watching at all critical points. They don't have bodies. So having a person in plant go and represent you covers that lack that lack of additional attention that a, a CMO can give to you during the time of need. 
So, so with that in mind, it's one thing to have a person implant just to check the box and have that condition met. It's another thing to have a person implant that actually adds value to the day, value to the process. So you and I have been doing this a long time. And you can see when it's an effective relationship coming in from the outside, and you can see when it's not. So what stands out to you as the keys to being an effective person in plant and working with the site opposed to telling on them? <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's good. Yeah, because you walk in and a lot of the attitude is that, oh, man, it's just another person who's going to be looking over my shoulder. If what you, if you're walking in for the first time, it's going to be that for anyone, I think, because there there's a level of trust that builds between people over time, no matter where you are, not just solely in the person and plant scenario, but it builds over time. What people who've worked in a manufacturing facility a lot can bring to that man and plant is that you really do know what's going on. You know what to look for. You can, you know, we're talking about going into some API facilities that are older that sit between the operations happen over maybe four different plant levels and the batch may move through all these plant levels in, in the course of an afternoon. So having someone who come in can come in and say, look, the first thing we want to do is let's go walk through the process real fast and see how everything looks just just so you can teach me it, it's it's taking that person in charge of the facility and convincing them that you are there to help you're there to learn from them you don't cop attitude with them it's their plant uh, you know the the biggest thing you can do is cop attitude with the person who's running the plant or try to tell their people what to do the first thing I ever do when I walk into a plant is I explain to who's ever in charge of the process that, look, I'm here to help. You guys should know more about this than I ever will. I'm here to give advice. If at any point you hear me tell your operator to do something, you are allowed to hit me and throw me off site because I'll, I'll eat the cost of this at that point because it's not my facility. I can't tell you what to do. And, and you start to build that level of trust. And then, then they'll begin to go to you with problems. With they'll, they'll even, I've had a couple, probably the, the most touching was I spent a lot of time on an API facility on the East Coast. And on the last day when I was finally walking out, their, their process chemist said, you know, I want to thank you. You're the first person in plant who's ever actually helped me. They, you gave me advice that was useful. You, you, you caught problems that would have bit me in the behind and people would have been yelling at me about them, but you kept them from happening. And, you know, now that, that, that's trust that comes over time. In the short term, you have to work it in faster. So I think, I think you raise a good point. I, I think Having done this myself, people notice when you don a shoe cover the right way, when you, you know, you've done this before, when you walk in and your eyes just aren't spinning, you can tell then you're just coming really out of the cubicle and into the plant. But if you've been in that plant and you say, I really like the way you guys handle X, Y, and Z, and, and it's that, that collaborative effort, um, you can even work your way into uh, shift exchange meetings where they're talking about the day. And if you consider this, most of our clients run small volume batches and often large CMOs. So they're running this one, two times a year, but they've got to get it right. So 
you're asking a lot of a facility that runs every day, often around the clock, and they're supposed to remember the nuances of your process because it's your process amidst everything else they do. And, and every BD person will tell you that's the way they do it. That's the way they've always done it. But then there's reality. And I think you raise a really good point. It's really integrating yourself into their operation as in a, in a guest capacity, but also helping to move them forward. Now, when you start talking about the, the process, I mean, it must come across in conversation that you know what you're talking about. You, you know the equipment they're using and how they're using it. And you can explain that the nuance of the process you're overseeing, right? Uh, sure. Yeah. And it's just, it's also, it's also when people like you or I walk into a plant, it's that we've had years of experience with the equipment. It may not be the same piece of equipment, but it's, it's all pretty similar. You know, a cam locked hose is a cam locked hose, be it, be it in Switzerland or, or, or be it in, in, in Iowa, it's the same. And when you walk by, I can think of an example. I was walking a train one, one evening and I noticed the operator didn't have the cam lock properly fashioned onto the bottom valve and they were about to tra transfer a batch. Uh, you know, I've, I know what happens when it happens because yeah, I've lost batches. I've been in facilities where it's happened and you know, the, you, the operator's face was so happy and I walked upstairs and just said, go check your cam lock on the bottom of reactor 3359 and do me a favor, lock it down. And he came back up, he thanked me. And he, it, it was funny because I'd worked with him the night before. And he said, so you going to tell my supervisor I didn't have that locked down? No, not at all. We got it. We're here. We're working as a team. This is what we're going to do because this is expensive and important to my client. And you're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's um, these batches, even if the batch is cheap from a raw material perspective, rescheduling it or having a delay in a clinical trial is, you know, is incredibly expensive. So, so getting it right and only having maybe one shot to get it right means having an extra set of eyes is absolutely cheap, cheap insurance at the end of the day. No, I, I think, I think that's really well put. If you consider, you know, I, I it was once explained to me by someone with many more, more years experience than I have is think about it like this. When you get in the car and you turn the key, so many things have to happen in unison or in sequence to have that car fire. And when you're in a teleconference and you're listening to the CMO talk about all the things they're going to do on the batch, you're only getting about, you know, 40% of the actual things that have to happen correctly in order for that batch to be made. And being on site and being a part of the team that's manufacturing your batch, I think is essential. It, it's, it's one thing to, to, sit there with a clipboard and make notes. And then at the end, send a, a direct, fully detailed email on everything you observed. That's a surefire way that the next time you roll into that plant, you may not be welcomed with open arms as you were the first time you were there. So I think the things that you say, you talk about experience, have, having blown that cam lock and a hose fly off, you've seen it, you know what it looks like. And, and I think you touched on a really important point. You don't ring the alarm bell. You don't make everything come to a halt. Say, hey, check that. In my case, you've just steamed a system. Check the clamp. Did it expand? Just make sure it's tight before we start product transfer. All of these things have to happen. And then the more you become integrated to the team 
and you said it earlier on, which I think was a really important point for people considering this, is that information then becomes shared with you proactively rather than reactively. Yes. When people will start to call you first, when, you know, I've been in that situation as well. I, I left the site in the afternoon, went to have dinner, the phone rang over dinner and they said, look, we don't know really what's happened all the way yet, but this is what we know. And it, it develops a trust level. And, and the next words out of their mouth were, were, please do not tell anyone yet. I, I'd like your advice and help as we look at this, but bringing, bringing in anyone yet, we still need a little time to know what happened. I, when you can start to integrate into sites and people like that, you'll bring a whole lot more value to what you're doing. That's a great point. And I think also as, as you listen to this podcast and you consider whether you feel it's something that either you can handle or consider this when you are on site, you are working with a process. You're not working on a punch clock. So if you roll in at 3.30, 4 o'clock, a critical part of a process, get comfortable. You could very well be there. I, two Christmases ago, I spent 18 hours in Germany watching a machine that moved very little, but I had to be there because it spit out data. So, so get comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Clients will, you know, clients and CMOs will try to say, look, book into this hotel. This one's really nice. And I, how, how many miles is it from the plant? And uh, I'll tell them, no, I know this one that's now only four miles from the plant because I'm going to, I'm, you know, and I, I warn them, I'm going to be there when you really don't want me there. And you've got to keep in mind, and this is something that, again, my background comes from being 15 plus years in CMOs. When one, when one of us is going to be on site, there's probably going to be a special person from the CMO also on site. It, it takes a lot of trust before they'll just let a shift supervisor let you into the building. It's happened to me, but it's, it's rare occasions. So, so now you're putting a, you're putting the person, the, the employee who's going to have to be there the next day from nine to five. He, he or she's going to have to come in with you from three in the morning to, to to, to eight in the morning and then just keep staying. You, you, you have to keep that in mind too. I, you know, the, these people have lives and you feel bad for them at times because you are, as you said, you're, you're there for weird numbers of hours, weird amounts of times. And, you know, you're on a production floor and you're, you're, you're dealing with operators. And not all operator, you know, not all operators have college degrees. Some, some haven't finished high school. I'm convinced of it in some places. I've been not that it's bad. It's that comes off really bad, but, but it's, it's a working class environment and you're now into a, a different scenario. So you, you, you have to keep in mind of the different people you're working with when you're on site. So you, so you bring over the best of everything you can. Yeah. I think it's a good point. And as you consider this for, say, your company, I think the expectations for that person traveling to plant are exactly as Dan laid out. They're long days. Um, they, you are available uh, proactively for critical parts of the process. Um, updates sent back to the sponsor or back to the company from the site. They're frequent because a lack of information is often more condemning than bad information. So you keep that moving forward. Uh, I think there's the really important factors to consider. And then you sleep for two days when you get home because you're just catching up on all that sleep you lost. Uh, but when you consider person and plant and whether it's value added or not, it's 
how that person, the expectations that person traveling to the plant, are they prepared to stay there as long as it takes? Or are they asking for two or three people to go? Um, you get a flavor for how this is going to work oftentimes before you step on a plane. So Brian, to that, with the companies that are small emerging biotechs, how would you or Dan approach uh, bringing a person in plant with on a limited budget? What would you say to those type of companies? Yeah, I, I think you need a plan beforehand and you need to look at the process and decide whether every process doesn't need a person implant. If you have unlimited budget, sure. I mean, I like to travel. I like to go to production plants. So you, you should have someone if you've got an unlimited budget. Now, since that, that company doesn't exist, you, you should look at what they're going to be doing in this portion of the campaign or in the next step and, and look at the risks involved with the type of production that's going on and decide whether there's benefit. If it's you know, from a drug substance perspective, if you're throwing two powders into a vessel, stirring them around and draining them into another tank, you, you, you probably don't need me there just for that. You know, if it's involving some filtration, some crystallizations, uh, you know, three days of heavy manipulation of the product, it, it's probably going to pay off in the, in the long run to have someone there. I think it's a good point. If you consider what they're going to see, for example, validation batches. There is an enormous amount of adherence to the protocol, samples generated, how those samples are labeled, how they're handled. All of that needs to have oversight. Um, the CMO, the project manager for the CMO will be there on site overseeing. But quite frankly, you want to avoid those inevitable deviations that happen because a sample wasn't taken or, or, or the sample quantity wasn't sufficient. Because it's important to you and the firm you represent, having that information in front of you and constantly checking that everything is done. Because when it comes to things like launch stock material, process validation, critical clinical batch manufacture, it really is hard to justify why you're not going to have an interest in the plant on your behalf with the CMO. You really, it, it should just be considered into your budget. Yeah. And it, and some of it, also comes, there can be a savings, as we said, you should look at the process beforehand, think about where the risk or risks are, but you should also come up with the CMO with a plan of absolutely when you want to be on site and what you want to see, and it ought to be timed out. Uh, you know, the, the, a, a lot of the times when we're on man and plant, person and plant projects, a lot of the time is sitting in a conference room doing something for something else and not even billing the client you're on the site for. It's, it's the reality of it. Some of it, you know, there's, there's times when you'll spend one or two days sitting in a hotel room doing other work because you've got a space between two very important parts of a process. Uh, You'll, you'll be working for someone else, but it just doesn't make sense to jump on a plane and fly back and forth. This kind of planning can save the client some money along the way. But at the end of the day, people who are looking for us to do this kind of thing need to have a grasp of what the cost of their batches that we're watching and they have to understand the impact it could have on, on the asset down the road. Because at the end of the day, it's not that much money in comparison. 
and I'm apologizing. The neighbor's dogs have just taken off. I see Miranda grinning. So we give them a minute and they typically calm down. Where do you want to go with it next? <laughs> no, no, that's fine. We just need to know their names so that we can tag them in the post. Uh, they're, that's they're, all. They're, they're Pero Uno. Pero dos cincuenta tres. They're pero cincuentas uno dos. There's like thousands of dogs next door. <laughs> I I forgot what you were talking about. I have no idea what you were talking about. I think what we should probably do, and and Ed chime in here if you don't agree. I think one of the things that we do is we talk about when you wrap up a site visit, what sort of information is value added back to the client and not only the client, but perhaps the CMO. So, so maybe we talk about what is that, that information exchange following the production run look like. So we, we talked about how to select that person to be effective. We talked about the value that that person has on site. And we talked about things needed while you're on site. And now the run is done. The milestone is met. The batch is in the can what information or what insight is shared either with the client or with the CMO you just visited that really puts it to bed and makes that whole visit value added for the time you go back into production again? So we, we, we've been talking about a lot of preparing to go into the plant, a lot about being in the plant and, and, and what can be brought to the table by an experienced manufacturing person. The, the other thing to consider is what happens when those batches are done or the batch is done or the materials in the filter, it's been dried. It's the, the, the vials have been lyophilized and they're being packed out. It just because you walk out the door of the plant and you, you, you go to the airport and get on the plane, it, it, it shouldn't be done. It shouldn't be finished for us because there's, there, there, there's, Certainly not a true wrap-up report, but there's there's things we've seen, Brian, that are in our minds that wouldn't be in other people's minds because of our background. There's there's things to be documented about what we saw, both good and bad. There's things to be documented about the process we saw and just how it behaves from a physical chemistry point of view, if you will. And these things, you know, at least for me, these are the things typically if I'm getting on a longer plane ride on the way home, these are the things I start to document then uh, while they're still fresh in my mind, while I've seen them, concerns I may have from the batch or batches that I've watched that, that maybe weren't a problem, but are going to become one in the future. You know, the filtration was slower than we expected. It, it, the, the stuff in the filter looked a little more like mud than a crystalline product. We got through it, but, but wh where do we go and what do we do with it in the future? I mean, those are the kind of things we start to put together, get written down so we don't lose at the end of the day. I think that's a great point. You said something briefly there to the start. I just want to expand on is that, you know, you're basically collecting your thoughts. It, it's, it's a ledger of what had happened in the time you were at the plant, but you said something that I think is very important because this, this relationship between our client and the CMO, it's not a, a one hit wonder. You're there for the long haul. You expect that relationship to grow their knowledge of your process to increase, and they become really a valuable partner in that company's growth. So when you make these reports or these, these, these bullet list observation sheets, it's really important to highlight 
not only issues and possible change control or, or remediation steps, but also what worked well. And you said that both the good and the bad. And if you highlight that good and the CMO is going to get a copy of what you see, even if it's, a, if it's an e bullet point email, which could very well be, it's something you decide before you leave on the trip, what type of assessment, but highlight what worked well, because throughout the day, even though there may, and I have been in runs that have, I would not have described as a success, but there are things you can glean from it that are positive. If you have a, an event, a deviation where you had to, a planned deviation, you had to do something on the batch because of a, a problem, there are good things that come from that. There are people that rise to the challenge. There could be a facilities mechanic that comes in and, and goes above and beyond to keep our process moving forward. These are all things that really have to be in a well-rounded site wrap-up report. And, and I think, Dan, I just wanted to expand on that point because that really helps that relationship in the long term as well. Yeah, that's a great point. So we're getting, we're getting closer towards the end of the podcast here. So it's, it's that time of the show where we, we play a little fun games. Um, it's called Facts and Myths today, Dan. So can you give us a couple facts about CMOs and then maybe also add a couple myths and kind of just explain them? Good stories, of course. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> good stories. Okay. Uh, I, I think I think one of the myths that people have is that a CMO absolutely knows their equipment all the time and the process is going to be run the same every single time. I, I can think of an example. I was watching a, a validation campaign one time and you know on, on, on a Monday night we transferred the first batch from vessel one to vessel two. We, we went back the next night to watch batch two do the same transfer through the same equipment. I'm standing there about 11 at night and I watched the operator do the transfer completely differently, not through the same set of hoses or pipes. Uh, my, my, my jaw dropped. I'd never been in a facility. My assumption, my myth had been in my own mind had been everybody always transfers every batch the same way. You know, it's like when you go to work in the morning, you get on the road and you always drive that same road to work every morning. Well, well they did it. So we, we had to have some talks with the plant afterwards. And we, you know, we, we talked about the pros, cons, benefits, but not everything's always the same every single time when you go into production. The batch record, you know, the batch record may just say transfer the batch. And we all assume the myth is it's done the same way. Uh, you know, the fact is it, it's not always, and you have to be cognizant of that. And that's where having somebody there to watch, you can realize when, 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 that, when, that, when that reality, you know, becomes the myth, if you will. Some facts about it. No matter how upset you get at your CMO and people get upset at their CMO, I do believe Every CMO I've ever worked with really does want to do the right thing. The folks on the floor who are running the process, the person who's writing your batch record, the analyst who's analyzing your IPCs, they really do want to do a good job. You know, there, there, there becomes this myth of, oh, everybody there is a screw-up. Oh, they're, they're not. They really want to do the right job. So, you know, when, when you go there... Don't treat them all, you know, don't treat them badly. If you want to treat anyone badly, treat the plant manager badly. You know, at the end of the day, they're there to be the person responsible. So when, when things go wrong, 
do your best not to take it out on the on the person who's who's there, you know, turning the wrench. Uh, for you at, at 3 a.m. You know, first take it out on the person in the corner office who can take it and should take it for you. That's a really good one. Wow. Yeah. That's empathy. I didn't, didn't know you had that. <laughs> I don't. I don't. That's why I'm really not that good lying. <laughs> I take it out. On, I take it out on everybody. Well, and, and I know this was directed to Dan, but I have one I want to add. And Dan, you can expand on it is uh, one myth is that a process start time that's a suggestion, you know, plus or minus eight hours, you're starting on time, just come prepared. Yeah, you have to. I mean, in the in the drug substance thing, I was taught by a very good old friend who now builds furniture for a living, uh, that if the, the, the process is going to start Friday at 6 p.m., no matter what you do the week before to make it start Monday at nine, it's going to end up starting Friday at six. It, 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 there's, there's very little you can do about it. I mean, these times, you know, it, it's, it's hard to be a manufacturing person first off, which is where my empathy comes from because it's hard to stick to a schedule. It just really is because things can slip. And where my empathy comes and the folks who are working there, you got to remember a lot of times these people now are giving up their weekend to start on Friday so that your product can make it out closer to time. So you've got to have that, that bit of empathy. Um, the, the other thing that I love about the change in the airline industry in the last few years, because Miranda had asked about saving clients money, one-way tickets are the same price now as a round trip. Remember back in the day where you'd buy a round trip because they were cheaper than the one way. You know how many one way returns I've eaten over the years because of this? I now, you know, a, a lot of you know this. When I go on these trips, you know, my, my clients all ask, well, when's your flight home? And I'll typically, a lot of them will meet me in the plant for the first day or two of production because they want to be there as well. They'll ask me when my return ticket is and I'll just shrug my shoulders and say, I don't have one. And they'll, they'll look at me and go, what? I said, I don't know when we're going to be done. I don't have a return trip. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have a, as part of that plan we talked about of scheduling things, I'll typically have a milestone of once we're here, I'll book my ticket home. And uh, it, it, that's become a godsend to saving clients money. Uh, in this day and age. Uh, now, there, there is a downside as a funny story. If you buy too many tickets in, in 24 to 48 hours, I can guarantee you they're going to be trying to pull the battery out of your laptop when you check into a major international airport. Uh, it, it does raise red flags. So, I mean, there are downsides to it, but you know, you, you'll get through security it on your plane and go home eventually. Yeah, be, be sure to befriend your travel agent because if plans change, you want to have that number because you're going to want to know by the time it is time to actually leave, you want to go home. And it's not, yeah, it, it changes. It's 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 going to be fluid in this industry and in this in this particular part of it just because it's not things happen, things go wrong. You know, you're you're on an airplane and you find out you've landed and a rupture disc has blown on one of the vessels during a pressure vacuum check. You're now 12 to 24 hours out of it if you're lucky. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's the flexibility is there. And it's, it's, it's something I like to think that we can bring to the clients because our jobs are flexible. 
we can, we're used to working virtually. So to work in the Marriott as opposed to working here in my house, yeah, it really isn't any different at the end of the day. I might even have better internet at the Marriott than I do in my house. So, I mean, it's, it's one of the things we can bring to the client is just where, where their people have to be someplace else. I, you know, you and I have both had this happen. We've flown someplace with a client and they've had to leave and they leave it in our hands to watch because they have to be somewhere else. And yeah. So, I mean, we, 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 can, we, we bring this to them. We were that person. And we're also, the thing to keep in mind for people is we are bringing experience in a manufacturing facility that's rarer and rarer today. The, there, there's very few people who, you know, can I, can I say there's very few kids I, I'm I'm old and grade now. That means anyone under forty. You know, Miranda is a kid. There's very few kids who have been in manufacturing plants. I mean, uh, Ed is much younger than I am, and he's been there. It's been a while ago, but he's been there. But the jobs have left the United States for the large part. So there's less people with the experience. A lot of manufacturing is now in Europe and Asia. And it's, it's harder and harder to find people with this background. And it, it's, it's a key, I think, for what people should look for when they're fought, trying to find a person in plant. You and I both agree, I think, Brian, body implant, yeah, it's, you know, there's that white coat effect we talked about at the beginning, but it, it hardly brings what you can get if you've got somebody who's been on the production floor four to eight hours a day for 15, 20 years of their life. Yep, I absolutely agree. Well, here's a fact. Dan, you're an amazing person. You've, you've been a mentor of mine, um, a very good close friend, especially recently. And you're obviously a person in plant extraordinaire. <laughs> it, and it comes with brewing beer. I didn't, I didn't get into the brewing beer episode that, that's going to be down the road. Or the, uh, the trips that we used to take. Uh, and we could talk about Femme Fatale and Gary and some of those those times too. But at this point, I think it's time to wrap up. So I wanna I wanna also say once again, um, I appreciate your time, and um, uh, I wanted to make sure some of this was recorded um, because there's a lot of young kids out that uh, that will learn tremendously, uh, you know, just from listening to this, and hopefully it inspires them to um, you know become the next persons in plant, um, so our industry could benefit from that. So with that, thanks Brian and Miranda. Of course, as always. Um, and Dan, we will talk to you soon. And thank you once again. All right. Cheers. Thank you guys. Have a great day. Bye-bye. In short, the person and plan approach is part of joint product and process understanding. It is only one of the tools available, of course, to building effective partner relationship, establishing and maintaining a long-lasting partner relationship, which also relies on mutual understanding here. And understanding is the first step to trust, of course. There is an old Chinese proverb, work with who you trust and trust who you work with. Designating a person and plan is one way to build that trust. On our next episode, we'll be talking with Kyriakos Nicolaros, also known as Q, here at DSI, live from Brooklyn, New York. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which include a summary, timestamps, and any links mentioned in this episode, please visit dsinformatics.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the information from this episode and any past episodes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash cmc live. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.